Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Thank you to our worship team. Thank you so much for being here today. No matter if you're here at Rock Spring, Rossville, online, wherever you may be, thank you for joining us. Hey, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you have your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, people have been asking, how did Good Friday go? And uh, I don't know if you saw it online, we had 1,480 people and over 20 decisions to follow Christ on Good Friday. That was awesome. And then, yeah, yeah, you can do that. You can do that. And then last night we had almost 600 here for our Saturday night service as well. So, and, and multiple people saved last night. So great, great start to our Easter weekend. And thank you for being here this morning, wherever you may be. Hey, 1 Corinthians 15, I want to preach on this today. Are you going to heaven? Simple, simple question out of 1 Corinthians 15. Are you going to heaven? Now that, that's not a question uh, you don't ask are y'all going to heaven, you ask, are you going to heaven? That is, are you 100% sure that if it were to happen today, Jesus were to return or you were to leave this world, are you sure you are going to heaven? Not asking if your parents are going to heaven or your kids or your wife or your husband, your grand, I'm asking, are are you? I want us to look there and see what that has to do with the resurrection in just a moment. Let me talk about Easter. I love Easter stats. I love, I love Easter stats. For example, I love this stat. 87% of parents will, will buy or make Easter baskets for their children. How many of you made Easter baskets for your kids? Can I see your hand? You got Easter baskets? Not many. Well, y'all are awful. All right. Maybe, maybe the next crowd will be better. How many of y'all are adults and you still get an Easter basket from your, from your parents? Anybody in the room? A few. Thank you. That's awesome. Here's the best stat, 81% of you will then steal, steal candy from the Easter basket you made for your kids. So I, I love that, good for you. 90 million chocolate Easter bunnies are produced every year. In each Easter season, Americans buy more than 700 million marshmallow peeps, shaped like chicks, also shaped like bunnies, also shaped like eggs. It is the most popular non-chocolate Easter candy in America, but I did see a stat this week, I didn't put it up here, that it is not the most popular candy in any state in America. Chocolate reigns supreme at Easter, and in case you have to go get something, you can get it today. Here's my favorite stat, I think I tell you this every year, but I just love this stat. You know how long it took to make the first peep? The first peep, it took 27 hours, that's right, and then we discovered chemicals, and now it only takes six minutes to make a peep. Yeah, they do a lot faster. Those chemicals gel so much better. And if you want to know what the, uh, uh, the biggest uh, 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 colors are, yellow is the most popular, then pink, lavender, blue, and white, in case you're wondering. How much money, Mom, are you going to spend on Easter? Well, the average American family this year, it's estimated, will spend $169.79. That is on candy, food, gifts, clothing, and decorations. You're going to spend about $170. Dollars that amounts to about $21 billion in the U.S. alone. And then what are we going to do on Easter? You can't see this graphic, but I'll just tell you, the three different colors represent 2020, 2021, 2022. You're going to 
Cook a holiday meal, 56% are going to do that. Watch TV, that's a real adventurous Easter, 33%. I love this one. Browse the web. One out of five people are going to do nothing today but browse the web on Easter. But here is my favorite Easter stat. I've been saying it for weeks, 51%. What does that mean, 51%? Well, Barna tells us that today in America, 51% of Americans will be in church today. One in two Americans. No, we're nowhere near that number. We're half that number on a normal Sunday. But today, 51% of Americans will be in church. Why is it that one in two people will be in church? Why is it that your neighbors who never go to church are in church today? Here's why. Because Easter is the most important Sunday of the year. That Easter represents the cornerstone of Christianity the foundation of our faith, the building block of our belief, and the height of our hope. Did you know without the resurrection, we have no reason to meet on a Sunday? None. Did you know without the resurrection, there's no point in singing? Did you know without the resurrection, we don't have a song? That's why other religions don't sing. They don't have a risen Savior. We have a risen Savior. Without the resurrection, there's no need for me to preach. There's no need for you to tell. There's no need for you to give. There's no need for you to serve. There's no need for you to believe. And some of you are here in this service and you wonder what the resurrection is all about. Does it really mean anything to you? Does it really affect your life? Does it really make a difference in your day-to-day or in your eternity? And I understand your question, but hear me. Easter does matter, and it does affect you right now, and it does affect your eternity, if not, but for one reason. Because Easter tells us how and the hope of heaven. How we can know for sure that we're not going to hell, because there are only two options when you die. There is heaven and there's hell. How can you know before you leave this building that you're going to heaven? The resurrection tells us that. And Paul, Paul told us that in 1 Corinthians 15. So would you stand with me as we honor God's word by reading it? It's on the screen if you don't have your Bibles. 1 Corinthians 15. Look, look at the end of the chapter. Look all the way down at verse number 50. Paul said, what I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor can corruption inherit incorruption. Listen, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we'll, we'll all be changed. In a moment in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we will be changed. For this corruptible must be clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal must be clothed with immortality. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory. Where death is your sting. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You may be seated. 
This whole chapter that Paul has been writing about has been on the resurrection of Jesus and our coming resurrection. And Paul is ending with some important verses. This is closing out the chapter on the resurrection. So very quickly, let me just expound on these few verses for just a moment and then make some observations. Because in verse number 50, Paul states something that often gets overlooked when it comes to the idea of heaven and eternity. And that's this body is not going to make it. Here's what he says. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. It's the same, it's the, it's the way of saying the same thing twice, that this body that you live in this morning, this body that you reside in this morning is not capable of going to heaven. That in order to get into heaven, this body you live in today is not the body that will live for eternity. There's two main reasons for that Paul elaborates on. One, this body is earthly flesh, and earthly flesh cannot inherit a heavenly home, so that's a problem. Number two, this body has been corrupted by sin, and sin cannot enter heaven. This body has been corrupted by suffering, and suffering cannot enter into heaven. This body has been corrupted by sickness, and sickness cannot enter into heaven. So Paul is saying to us that here's what you need to know about heaven. That body you're living in is not going to make it. Well, then he goes on and talks about it a little bit more in the next two verses. And he begins to talk about this idea that not everyone is going to die. You say, preacher, I thought everybody died. Well, everybody's going to die up until the day when the Bible says Jesus will come again. In the church, we call that the rapture. And at the rapture, the dead in Christ are going to rise. And then the Bible says, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. That when Jesus comes again, there will be those who have gone on in the Lord and they'll be raised from the dead. There'll be those of us who are left behind and will rise in the air to meet them. The Bible tells us that you need to know Jesus is coming again. This world is not all there is. And by the way, I think it's very soon. I I tweeted out a news article uh, just a day or so ago uh, where they're now literally implanting chips in people in Europe so people can pay for things by waving their hand over the card reader. You say, what does that have to do with Uh, anything. Well, if you read Revelation chapter 13, the Bible tells us that in the last days that people will pay for things with their hand or with their forehead, or as I like to call it, implanted chip facial recognition. That'll make you set your iPhone down for a minute, won't it? And then the Bible says that he is coming and that in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, the rapture, The trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we will be changed. Look at what he said. We all will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. We used to hear growing up that Jesus was coming back in the blink of an eye. That's not what the Bible says. We don't know how fast he's coming back, but the Bible says that our bodies will be changed by Jesus in the twinkling of an eye, meaning it's not going to take a long time for you to get a glorified body that is going to happen instantaneously, whether you rise from the dead or whether you rise from the ground. Either way, you'll get get a glorified body instantly. And then he goes on, Paul does in verse 53 and says, this corruptible body must put on incorruption, that this dying body we live in must put on what it says in the original language, an undying body, because this body's not getting in. 
And then verse 54, he, he talks about well, verse 54 and 55, what I think is the war cry of the Christian. As when we go up in the air, here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to trash talk the devil a little bit on the way up in the air. Here's what we're going to say. He says, death has been swallowed up in victory. And so here's the war cry of the Christian. We're going to trash talk a little bit. Those who were dead and raised from the ground will say, where death is your victory? We're kind of going to stick our tongues out at the devil and do a little grammar school nanny nana boo boo on the devil as we go up. We're going to say, death, where is your victory? Death, you thought you had me. Grave, you thought you had me. But no, I had Jesus, and so I'm not staying in the grave. But then there are those of us who are on the ground. We never died. We never had a funeral. We never had a preacher saying thing over us. So we're going to trash talk a little bit too, and we're going to say, where death is your sting? Death, you didn't even get to touch me. Not, I just don't have victory over you. I, you never even got to touch me. And it's, it's our Christian trash talk on the way up to heaven to the devil. Then verse 56, Paul waxes theological in verse 56 and 57. The sting of death is sin, the power of sin is the law. Paul is reiterating what he said in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Paul's reminding us that the reason we have to go through all of this is because sin abounds in our life and we needed a Savior. And then in verse 57, he said, but thanks be to God that gives us the victory. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what Romans 6.23 says. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul's just saying the same thing he's already said in Romans 6.23. He's just saying it differently. So you say, preacher, how does all of that, what does all that have to do with whether or not I'm going to heaven? Let me tell you four statements Paul would say to you today if he were preaching this sermon. Number one, because of those verses, Paul is saying this. Number one, you can't get to heaven on your own. See, the reason you can't get to heaven on your own is we have to have a new body to get into heaven, and that destroys this one argument of the world, the argument that you can work your way there, be good enough to get there, or earn heaven. We somehow have this idea that we have the power within us to be good enough to get into heaven. Here's what the world thinks. As a matter of fact, when they poll members of churches in evangelical churches, 50% of the people in a Baptist church think this, there are scales in heaven. And they think God the judge is going to come up here and put all of your good on one side of the scale and all of your bad on the other side of the scale. And if all your good outweighs your bad, then God's going to let you into heaven. And there's all kinds of problems with that theology. Number one is, who gets to determine what's good? Because Hitler would have said, he did good. Mussolini would have said, he, Saddam Hussein would have said he did good. You say, oh, preacher, that's not good, obviously. By whose standard? Well, we'll use God's standard. Good idea. Because here's what God says. There's none good, no, not one. Romans 3.10. And so, so we have this idea that good's here and bad's here. But that, listen, that cannot be the way to get in the heaven. Because we don't have that power even if we do had the, even if we had the power to do good, enough good to get us into heaven, Paul is trying to tell us in 1 Corinthians 15, you've got other problems because you don't have the power to create yourself a glorified body. I mean, I'll be honest, if I had that power, I'd be eating a bag of Doritos right now while I was preaching. I wouldn't worry about it. I don't have the power to get this body in shape. 
I don't, I don't, except unless round is a shape, I don't have the power to get this body in shape even now. But I definitely don't have the power to create a glorified body. And, and the resurrection tells me that to earn my way to heaven, here's what I'd have to do. Here's what you'd have to do. You think, well, I want to be good enough to get to heaven. Here's, here's what you have to do. You'd have to be perfect, number one. How many of you have already messed up that? Can I see your hand? You already messed up perfect, right? How many of you messed it up this week? How many of you messed it up on the way into church today? I mean, this morning, all right. It's, I mean, you came at 8 o'clock, so I mean, or, or you know, 9 o'clock, whatever. So be perfect. All right, that's one thing. Number two, you'd have to resurrect yourself if you're going to earn your way to heaven. Number three, you've got to figure out how to get there because um, I don't know where heaven is. Do you? So if you're going to do it all yourself, you, you can't do part of it and then say, well, Jesus, you take over from here. No, no, you've got to figure out how to get there yourself. And then number four, Paul's telling us you have to create a heavenly body, a glorified body. You have to do all of that just to name a few things. Now, I know you may be good this morning. I, I know you may be able to do some things, but can I tell you, can we all admit you're not that good? And I would admit to you. Human beings can do some pretty incredible things, but you're not good. You know, we even have a book. We even have a book dedicated to the incredible things humans can do. Do you know what that book is called? Guinness Book of World Records. Right. So since I brought it up, can I talk about it for a minute? Can you, you know some incredible things you can do? You know what this guy did? Andrew Stanton, who works in Las Vegas and makes a little more sense about this photo, holds the record for the longest metal coil passed through your nose and out of your mouth? Almost 12 feet. Yeah, in case you want to try it. Then this guy holds the record for balancing the most spoons on your face. 31 spoons, 2013. So if you don't have anything to do on Easter, just go home, empty the drawer, have at it. 31 spoons, see how close you can get, call the Guinness Book of World Records. How about this guy? He holds the record for the longest distance of carrying a table with his teeth. 12 meters, he carried it, George Christian carried it 12 meters a, and I, I didn't do the translation, a 12-kilogram table with a 50-kilogram lady sitting on top of it. He carried it 12 meters with his teeth. Then finally, finally, I'll show you the photo first. Amazing things people do. This record is held by Neville Sharp, who holds the record for the loudest burp in the world. Now you say, how loud was it? Well, I know sometimes you might think, you know, the volume's a little too loud in a church service. We run the volume decibel in a church service in the low 90s most Sunday mornings. His burp was 112 decibels loud. So it's 20 decibels higher than what we ran the volume at this morning. And now you know why this guy's kind of fading back. Number one, it's a burp. And number two, it was really, really loud. And so I will admit with you that human beings can do some amazing stuff like burp really loud. But that won't get you into heaven. Can I tell you what's not in the Guinness Book of World Records? You know what's not in the Guinness Book of World Records? 
raised yourself from the dead, lived a perfect life, earned your way to heaven, produce a glorified body. That absolutely will never and has never been in the Guinness's Book of World Records. And by the way, why would we even try it? Because Jesus said this. One person's already done all that. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes through the Father except through me. Hear me this morning. You cannot get to heaven on your own. You have to have Jesus. You can't be good enough to get there. You can't give enough. You can't work enough. You can't change enough. It doesn't matter what happened in your past or what you've done or what you've not done. We are all in the same predicament. The resurrection of Jesus tells me this, that you cannot get to heaven on your own because even in your minds, if you think, well, I've done a lot of good, well, you've done some good, but you can't do all that. Number two, the resurrection tells us this, that the me I see is not the me I'll be. The resurrection tells me that this is not the final version of me. Do you know what? I'm going to get better. And not only am I going to get better, I'm going to get perfect. That one day this corruption will put on incorruption. Can I ask you a question? You be honest. Do you ever get sick of yourself sometimes? You ever just roll over in the morning and you're sick and tired of putting up with you? All your mistakes, all your shortcomings, all your problems, all your issues. I mean, if you, if you had to straighten out your own life, come on, we can't even do that now. And the great news of the gospel of the resurrection is I don't have to straighten out my own life. I don't get perfect to get saved. I don't get perfect to get heaven. I get heaven in order to get perfect. I get saved in order to be perfect. The plans I have for my life right now do not compare to the plans that God has for me. Listen, here in this life and in the next, whatever plans you may have for you, pale in comparison what God has for you in heaven, that is the me you are today is not the me you'll be one day. Our plans have a way of deteriorating. This happened to us. My oldest daughter lives in, in the Chattanooga area. They moved out of downtown Atlanta, moved up here a few months ago, but they lived with us for about six months last year. And last December, they were living with us, and my wife sent this exact text to our family on a December day last year that my daughter, Savannah, and her husband, Trey, uh, they, they were trying to figure out what to do on a Saturday. And here's what Sherry sent us as she encapsulated their plans for the day. She said, so Savannah and Trey had plans tonight. Here's how they've changed in a matter of four hours. So let me walk you through their plans. Plan A, they were going to go to a Christmas boat parade. They'd heard about a parade in something they were going to go as a big deal. And then that's what they were told us they were going to do. And then they morphed into plan B. We're going to go to the movies. A little bit less low-key, you know, a little bit more low-key. But then plan C evolved. They were just going to stay home and order P.F. Chang's and make popcorn and watch a movie. So now we're not even getting out of the house. Now we're not even changing clothes or getting out of pajamas. We're just staying home all day. But we're not done. Plan D became, well, we're just going to eat leftovers and watch a movie at home and eat popcorn. So now, you know, we're not even brushing our teeth. We're just, you're just hanging out at home. Plan E became, we're just going to go get popcorn and stop by Sonic for a drink on the way back to the house. So, I mean, we've gone from downtown Christmas boat parade to he's going to run in the stop and rob, grab some popcorn, and we'll go through the drive-thru on the way home. And then finally it morphed into this because this, this was adventurous compared to the final plan. We went to get popcorn but did not get Sonic on the way back. 
felt like too much work. Plans deteriorate, right? That happens to us. You may have plans for your life, plans to get out of debt or to be a better person or to stop a habit or start going to church or give back to your fellow man or get in shape. That's all great. All of those are good. But hear me, God's heavenly plan for you is not any of those things. God's plan for you is perfection for your life. That is a perfect life, a perfect health, a perfect mind, a perfect emotions. Anything in your life that has a tinge of corruption will one day be changed into incorruption. And that leads us into these verses. They're so good. In Revelation 21 verse 4, as he's talking about heaven, God says, he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new, everything new. The me I see is not the me I'll be. And the resurrection assures me that one day, thing, one day everything I have to deal with here won't touch me there. No physical issues, no emotional issues, no mental issues, no health issues, no relationship issues. It's all brand new. And the resurrection is my promise that there is more to life than this life. There is a heaven. My plans may not go the way I really want them to here, but the resurrection says there is a better plan for me on the other side, that heaven really is heaven. Third thing Paul wanted you to know about heaven was this. It's not what I've done, but it's what I can do. Too often, one reason we don't come to Jesus and, is that we can't get out of our minds all the bad we've done. I get it. That song, Mercy, we sang is just such a great song that it talks about walking through that process of the mercy we all need in our lives. And sometimes we get to thinking, preacher, you just don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't have talked to people what I've done. To, I, I get it. I get all that. But the resurrection tells me that not only will I be victorious in the next life, the resurrection guarantees my victory in this life. When we read it in the scripture that the battle cry of the believer is one word, victory. That's not just victory in heaven, that's victory now. And sometimes we think Christianity is all about the sweet by and by, when in reality, the Christianity is still about the nasty now and now. And the resurrection says, yes, you'll be victorious in heaven, but yes, you can be victorious now. That no matter how tossed around you've been in this life, you, if you'll get Jesus in your heart and life, you can be victorious now and then. If he can defeat death for you, then he's got anything else. I don't know if you saw, I don't know if you saw it. Anybody see that Chevrolet that was in the tornado the other day? Anybody see that? I, I saw that, and when I saw it, somebody had put it to the old Chevy Like a Rock commercial song. And I saw it and thought about the Christian life. If you haven't seen it, can I, can I show this to you? Watch this. Look for a red pickup truck over here. Oh, drove off a tornado dropped him sideways on the ground and he just drove off 
I mean, I drive a Ford, but I'm real tempted to go trade it in because that's a cool song too. And, and I mean, good Lord, like a rock. He dropped out of a, I don't know if y'all are getting, he dropped out of a tornado and just drove on. And I saw that and I thought, man, if that doesn't describe the Christian life, right? How many of you have ever felt like you're in a tornado in a Christian life? Can I see your hand? Man, you have felt like it. But like a rock, Jesus has given you the power to drive on, even in that situation. And I know you feel defeated, and I know you feel tossed, and I know you feel injured and hurt and confused and down. But can I tell you, the resurrection tells me that if Jesus has got death, he has got anything else in your life, and our battle cry is victory. And the great thing about knowing you're going to heaven is that before you get there, this is awesome, Jesus puts a little heaven inside you. Heaven's not just where we're going, heaven is what we have. Are you tired of getting beat up in life? Hear me, Jesus is the answer. No matter what you've done, Jesus is the answer. No matter how you've messed up, Jesus is the answer. It's not what I've done. It's what I can do. And then number four, Paul wants you to know this. That sounds good. All you have to do is receive it. The resurrection tells me that I couldn't earn heaven, forgiveness, salvation, victory. Well, how do I get it? Well, Paul said this in verse 57 gives you know that most famous of bible verses john three sixteen. for god so loved the world that he gave paul said in verse 57 in your bible if you have it open he says this but thanks be to god who gives us the victory jesus is willing to give you heaven today you don't have to earn it. You don't have to buy it. You don't have to do it for yourself. You just have to receive what he's already done for you. And the resurrection says you can be saved today. You can be saved freely. All you have to do is take what he's offering. Close your Bibles and I'm finished. Let me tell you the story as you're closing your Bibles. I read the story a while back and I'm, I'm, I was fascinated by it and I saved it for today. In 1992, a man named Stephen Mandel came up with a brilliant scheme. He was a weekend mathematician who lived in Romania. He had moved to Australia, and he had started a lottery business. You say, what is a lottery business? We had figured out the formula to the lottery. And he had a team of people working for them who would go and buy lottery tickets for him. And because of that, because of the way he had this formula, he had won millions of dollars. As a matter of fact, he had won the biggest jackpot in the nation, whatever nation he was buying them from, 13 times. But every time he won, the nation changed the laws because they figured out what he had done. So he assembled a team, and he had never done it in America, and he put a team together to go to Virginia, the one state where he could pull off his scheme. And he raised $2,500 from 2,500 people, put in some of his own money, sent people to Virginia, and they bought every possible combination of lottery ticket, 7.1 million tickets. And guess what? He won the Virginia lottery. You say, what did he win? He won the lottery. He won it all. He won first place. 
He won second place. He won third place. He won fourth place. He won fifth place. He won all the places. And his investors earned $30 million as a group. No idea how much he earned. He never disclosed it. By the way, Virginia changed the laws the next month. He bought every ticket, every ticket to make sure he won the lottery. Cashed out and he's not done it since. Some people approach heaven the way Stephen approached the lottery. I'm just going to cover all my bases. You know, I'm going to try to be a good person. I'm going to try to go to church. I'm going to try to give a little bit. I'll celebrate Easter. I'll celebrate Christmas. I, I mean, I'll figure out what Hindus do. I'll do a little bit of that. And I'll figure out what Buddhists do. And I'll do a little bit of that. And I'll celebrate Ramadan and Passover. I'll just do it all. I'm going to try to cover all my bases. Can I tell you, that's more work than the real way to get to heaven. Because Jesus is the winning lottery ticket for life and for eternity. And hear me, instead of doing all that, Paul said, it's a gift. All you have to do is take what he's offered. So would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes across the room? Would you put that connection card in your hand? It's so important that every single person in the room has that connection card in their hand. Would you put it in your hand? Maybe you heard that that gospel message that Pastor Joel just shared and you understand the free gift that it is and you prayed with Pastor Joel to put your faith and trust in Jesus. Right now, right in the room, pastors are walking around the room and they're handing people who made a decision to put their faith and trust in Christ a copy of this book that says, Welcome to the Family. In this book, it tells you what the next steps are for you on your faith journey with Jesus. And obviously, you can't raise your hand and me see it and I can't hand you a copy of this book, but I can mail you a copy of this book. And so, if you prayed to receive Christ this morning and um, you would like a copy of this free book, if you would text, I did. I did make a decision to follow Jesus. Just text, text I did, I-D-I-D, to the number 97,000. We'll put a copy of this book in the mail to you this week. And um, we're here to answer any questions and help you take next steps on your faith journey with Jesus. It has been awesome to be together um, this Easter Sunday. And I know you have plans with family and you're excited about spending time with family and friends on Easter Sunday and maybe having a coconut Easter bunny cake, whatever it is you have on Easter Sunday. Thank you for joining us this morning. God bless you. Have a great week. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening.